Our home is a refuge. It is that one place where we are supposed to feel safe. So how would you react if you found out that a stranger can come and go inside your home in the middle of the night and you don't even know it? Welcome back, everyone, to Not Another Horror Podcast. I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rosetti. This week, we're on Season 1, Episode 6. Now, before we get into things, I just want to give a warm shout-out to South Africa for putting us on the Apple Podcast charts for the true crime genre at number 41 it's the first time this show has ever made a chart so thank you guys for loving the show and i hope you continue to support it now we've covered so much already in these first few episodes but tonight we're gonna dig a little deeper have you ever heard of frogging If you remember the golden age of YouTube, you might remember the show Living with Strangers, where the frogging challenge originated. Now, frogging is considered to be somewhat of an urban legend. There's even a movie about it called I See You. It's a pretty good movie, actually. Frogging is the act of moving into someone's home and living there while remaining undetected. These froggers live by a strict set of rules. One, don't get detected. Two, clean up after yourself. Three, only take what you need. Four, leave the home in the same condition as it was when you arrived. How considerate of them. Now, urban legends aside, the act of moving into someone's house undetected is very much a real thing. First-hand accounts range from Texas to Japan. For example, in 2008, a man named Stanley Carter lived in a family's attic in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania for a week. It was not until an iPod and cash came up missing that the family began to get very suspicious. A few days later, Mr. Carter was discovered hiding in the attic, wearing their clothes. In 2012, a man in South Carolina lived in his ex-girlfriend's attic, undetected for two weeks. The homeowner, Tracy, said that she heard movement in her attic at night and thought it might have been a poltergeist. When Tracy's son discovered the man, he fled before the police could apprehend him. He's never been caught, but the police did find 
bottles of urine and cups of feces. Mm. Also in 2008, a woman named Hiroki Atakura lived in a Japanese man home for a year. She was totally undetected until the homeowner noticed that food was missing over several months and installed security cameras inside the home. I could go on and on, but let's narrow it down to some of the most disturbing and odd cases. We'll start with the curious case of Dolly Ostrich. Hey there. It's your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti, and I just want to have a quick heart-to-heart with you. Now, you've probably been wanting to start your own podcast, but can't seem to get the ball rolling or you just don't know where to start. And trust me, I get it. There are a lot of options out there. It's almost overload. But today I'm going to tell you about the easiest way, and that is to download the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to start your own podcast stress-free. No complicated software or membership fees. It's all free. And they'll even distribute it for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start earning money right now with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app to get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. Walburga Dolly Ostrich. She was a housewife in her early 30s, married to the owner of a Milwaukee apron factory. Fred Ostrich was a successful businessman and worked long hours. But Dolly, oh, Dolly had needs. And Fred was either too busy or too drunk to meet them. One warm autumn day in 1913, Dolly found that her sewing machine wasn't working. She, of course, called Fred to vent her frustration. And he promised to send over a repairman. And that he did. This is how Dolly would meet the young man that showed up to fix it. 17-year-old Otto. Otto will become a central part of this story. So, stay with me here. Now, Dolly must have figured that Fred would send Otto over because she knew the teenager worked for Fred at the factory. When Otto arrived, he was met by the alluring Dolly. Now, Dolly was described as someone who was very unique. She was not conventionally attractive, but exuded a certain sex appeal. A certain je ne sais quoi, if you will. She would greet Otto wearing only a robe and stockings. Thus began a bizarre affair that would last a decade. Now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with frogging? Don't worry, we'll get there. Now, at first, Dolly and Otto conducted their relationship in the usual secretive manner, meeting in hotels to continue their sexual relationship. After a while, though, Meeting outside the home became risky. And the two began having sex in the ostrich's bed. Soon though, nosy neighbors, as they always do, began asking about the man who'd been 
hanging around. Dolly told them he was her vagabond half-brother. After realizing they were drawing attention to themselves, Dolly came up with a solution. She decided that Otto would take up residence in the attic. That way, he'd never be spotted coming or going because, I guess, breaking up would have been too complicated. Now, this worked for Otto, and he quit his job at the factory to become a writer. But this new arrangement meant that Otto couldn't leave whenever he wanted to, because prying eyes would notice. He remained there and worked on writing pulp fiction stories that he'd hoped to have published. The Los Angeles Times reported, at night, he read mysteries by candlelight and wrote stories of adventure and lust, probably because he couldn't leave the attic. But by day, he made love to Dolly Ostrich, helped her keep house, and made bathtub gin. Sounds kind of fun, actually. For five years, Dolly and Otto carried on this odd relationship, with Otto living in the cramped attic. So when Fred informed Dolly in 1918 that he thought they should sell the house and move to Los Angeles, you could see why Dolly would have an issue. Dolly, being the natural problem solver that she was, found a house overlooking Sunset Boulevard with an attic and sent Otto early. Yes, she sent him there before they moved in, so he'd be waiting for her when she arrived. And life continued, in the exact same way it had been for four more years until August 22nd, 1922, when Otto overheard Dolly and Fred fighting from his attic abode. He burst into the room where the ostriches were arguing. He was holding two pistols. Fred recognized Otto immediately, and he became very, very angry. The two men struggled and the guns went off. Fred was shot and Otto and Dolly panicked. Otto locked Dolly in a closet from the outside, taking the key and the guns with him to the attic. He knew neighbors would report the gunshots and this way, Dolly would have an alibi. She couldn't have shot her husband while locked away. Man. That Otto is a real ride or die. When the police arrived, Dolly told them it was a robbery, where the robbers shot Fred, took some expensive belongings, and then locked her in a closet before fleeing. The police were somewhat wary of this story, but they couldn't prove anything. So they released her. Now that Dolly was a widow, she moved into a new house and continued on with her life. You're probably thinking, well, now they could be together in the open, right? They could have the romance that they always wanted. Not quite. Instead, when Dolly moved, her living sex slave took up residence in her attic again. Yes, in the new house where she was single, he stayed in the attic. 
Otto had managed to get a few pulp stories published and with this money, plus a few nickels and dimes here and there from Dolly, he purchased a typewriter to keep writing, all while Dolly managed to get herself a new lover. Lawyer Herman S. Shapiro. Good for her. But like Dolly's first husband, Shapiro spent long hours away due to his profession. Enter Roy Klum, another lover to keep Dolly occupied. Though her use of Klum might have been to help her get rid of the guns used to shoot Fred, Dolly persuaded him to ditch a gun for her, saying it resembled a robber's gun and she didn't want to get in trouble. So Klum tossed it in the Lebray tar pits. She then sweet-talked a neighbor into burying the other gun in his yard. I mean, you gotta kind of respect this woman. <laughs> when Dolly eventually broke up with Clum a while later, he went to the police with the story. The gun was pulled from the tar pits and Dolly was taken into custody. Her neighbor dug up the other gun and took it to the cops. But neither weapon could be tied to Dolly because the guns had corroded. With Dolly awaiting trial in jail, she pleaded with Shapiro to buy groceries for Otto and to tap on the ceiling of the bedroom closet to let him know he should come out. She also tried to tell Shapiro that the attic bound Otto was her vagabond brother, but starved for conversation with another male. Otto spilled the truth to Shapiro about the nature of his and Dolly's relationship. Shapiro essentially told Otto to get lost and Dolly released on bail. Apparently the fact that she had kept a man in the attic was not a deal breaker. As the lawyer promptly moved in with her, all charges against Dolly was dropped. That is until seven years later when things became irreparable between Dolly and Shapiro. He moved out and told the police what he'd gathered of the crime against Fred. Warrants were again issued for Dolly, and this time Otto as well. A jury found Otto guilty of manslaughter, even after his defense stated that Dolly had enslaved him. The trial became known as the Batman case, since Otto had been kept in seclusion in a cave-like attic. Nevertheless, though, the statute of limitations on the manslaughter had run out. Otto was a free man. Dolly went to trial on a conspiracy charge, but also walked free after a hung jury. Everything was dropped, and she died in 1961 at age 80, hopefully having learned a thing or two about relationships. Now, jilted lovers aside... We'll cover that in the Valentine's Day episode. You're probably thinking, okay, I'm still not afraid. Don't have any lovers in my attic. Well, this was one of the more lighthearted odd stories. Let's go down this rabbit hole, shall we? Let's talk about a more recent case. On December 3rd, 2019, a woman claimed someone had been living in the crawlspace under her South Park home, according to the Charlotte police. 
The homeowner said her landscapers discovered several items in the crawl space, including candles, Coke bottles, and toilet paper. The homeowner said one of the biggest concerns was that they were using candles, which could create a fire. She's quoted as saying, it was very scary just thinking it could burn my house down. I mean, I don't know about you, but that would have been the least of my worries. She said the suspect broke in through the side door into the crawl space, but she's not sure how long they were there. It was unnerving, she said. Somebody had been living there, and I don't know how long. The most unsettling part to me, though, is the nearest house was about three miles away. I mean, maybe it was a homeless person, but they must have been familiar with that area. The homeowner was quoted as saying, Nobody knows where my house is. They always make a comment. I had no idea this house was back here. The homeowner said there's never been a break-in during her 20 years living at the home. She added a padlock to the side door and urged her neighbors to do the same. I think I would have moved. In 2013, some Ohio State University students discovered they were not alone in their off-campus accommodation. After they found someone living in their basement. Before the discovery, the students had often found their cabinets and microwaves open and had even heard noises from the basement. They never thought much of the events, although they often joked that the strange happenings were the handiwork of ghosts. They only found out the ghost was a secret roommate when maintenance workers forcefully opened the basement. The stranger was another student who was only identified as Jeremy. They allowed him to pick up his things before evicting him from the home. No one knew how Jeremy got into that house or how long he'd been living there. They guessed it was before they moved in. Since the landlord never changed the locks of the house, the creepiest part of this one of the roommates had met Jeremy earlier at a party, but thought he was just a visitor. Amber Dawn heard footsteps in her attic the night she moved into her new apartment in Inuka, Washington in 1977. She checked the trap door that led to the attic while it looked suspicious as if it had been pulled in by someone inside. She never thought someone could actually be in there. She told the landlady about the footsteps, but the landlady dismissed it as a squirrel. Dawn would notice strange events in her home over the next few months. Things mysteriously went missing, and her items were being moved. At one point, her nine-week-old puppy ended up inside her bathroom sink during a flood. Even though it couldn't climb in by itself, Dawn thought her brother, who also had a key to the apartment, was responsible. She only found out the truth six months after moving in. One night, she was soaking in the bathtub when she looked up at the trapdoor that led to her attic. It was open, 
She quickly grabbed a hammer and her dog before leaving the house. Outside, she called her sister-in-law who came and picked her up. Police later searched Dawn's whole apartment and found no one. However, they found food, a book, and a sleeping bag inside the attic. In 2013, 73-year-old grandmother Val McKellen noticed the front part of her Yelm, Washington home was colder than other parts of her home. She suspected the heating was not working properly and bought another furnace, but the problem persisted. So she called a repairman to check it out. The repairman discovered the problem was not the furnace, but that someone was living under her house. The person had cut her ducts to redirect the heat there. Kellen was shocked. While she never saw the person, she had noticed some unusual events in her home. She once found her gate open and often smelled something that was worse than cigarettes. The repairman did not find any drugs, but did discover beer cans under the house. Now, you stuck with me for this long, and maybe you're still not unsettled. That's fine. Because right now, I'm about to really get into the most sinister case out of all of these. The case I'm referring to is as the boy in the walls. I'm about to tell you the case of Daniel LaPlante. As a teenager, LaPlante broke into people's home on a regular basis and left a trail of destruction in his wake, definitely not following the Frogger's rules. In 1986, the teenager began stalking and tormenting a family of three, a single father and his two daughters, Annie and Jessica Andrews. The girls began receiving phone calls from a boy who claimed to be a teenager in their neighborhood. He charmed the young women and eventually convinced Annie to go on a date with him. Upon first meeting each other in person, Annie was taken aback by how he looked, but not in a good way. You see, on the phone, Daniel had described physical features far from his real self. He was catfishing before it was trendy. Still, Annie agreed to go for ice cream. When the date ended, Annie had no interest in pursuing the relationship any further. After all, she was going through a tough time. Her mother had passed away from cancer only a few months ago. Daniel kept asking her questions about her mother, about her death. Just really dark stuff. So. Of course, why would anyone want to see a person that asks those types of questions? Now, it's widely reported that one night, the sisters performed a seance. And if you don't know what that is, it's an attempt to contact the dead. I mean, I have one about every Wednesday night. What they weren't aware of was that Daniel had broken into their home and was knocking on the walls, making sounds that the sisters initially thought was their late mother responding to them. For weeks, the knocking continued, eventually leading them to think their house 
was haunted. According to multiple reports, this tormenting went on for two months. The sisters told their dad about what they had heard, but Brian Andrews attributed that to them not dealing with their mother's death. Then one night, in 1987, Brian came home and went into Annie's room. He was confronted by a frightening sight. According to Parkman, a young boy stood dressed in the clothing of Brian's deceased wife. He was wearing her makeup, a dress, and a blonde wig. And in one of his hands was a hatchet. It was Daniel. A struggle proceeded, but Daniel escaped before police later found him in a hidden crawl space behind a cupboard, which was built into the wall of Annie Andrews' bedroom. Daniel was arrested and charged. He was released from a juvenile facility in October 1987. Two months later, he killed three people. On December 1st, 1987, a man named Andrew Gustafsson came home to discover his wife's deceased body. Priscilla, his wife, who was pregnant, was on the bed in the master bedroom. She had been shot twice. Her two children, William and Abigail, had also died. The court documents state the police found William's body face down in the tub in the upstairs bathroom. The police discovered Abigail's body face down in the tub in the downstairs bathroom. The cause of death of both children was drowning. Now additionally, Abigail suffered blunt trauma to the head and compressions of the neck. Police soon identified Daniel as the killer and the manhunt ensued before he was eventually caught. In 1988, he was sent to prison with three life sentences for the murder of the Gustafsson family. Now for those of you who think you're safe, just because you live in a small apartment or condo, how cute. I've got another case just for you. A man in New York City discovered a woman living in his studio apartment. She was living in the vents. You can see the full video at a link in the show notes, but just seeing her there navigating the apartment while he was asleep and then seeing her hide behind the couch on the security camera when he wakes up in the middle of the night to get something out of the refrigerator is enough to make you not want to sleep. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode. Remember, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you want to support the show, you can always click on our Buy Me A Coffee link in the show note. And for those of you that want to discuss cases or anything else that we talk about on the show, feel free to follow our Instagram at Not On Another Horror Podcast, our Twitter at NA Horror Podcast, or join the Facebook group. Stay safe.
stay sane, and make sure that bad door is locked.